bow. Bow, 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 bow. Something like that. Yeah, that's not even Barbara Ann, which is the name of the song. Yeah, I know, I don't get it either. Like, her name isn't Bobber Ann. Like, because that's not a name. Or Ann. Which one do you want? She's questioning. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Her name, I guess. They don't say Bob, they say Ba-Ba-Ba-Ba-Ba-Ba-Ran. Right, Bob. I don't know. You know what? Barbara Brian Wilson is already troubled enough. We don't need Come to beat up on him. You're the one that's questioning his lyrics. I'm questioning their comprehensibility, not what they actually are. Alright. My god, that's delicious. Shake out the sillies. I guess. I don't know. You shake out your sillies. I that would take a long time. <laughs> Welcome to Prefer Not To, weekly sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Josh and Kate. As always, I am not Kate. I'm not Josh. Every week, Kate and I have a cocktail, talk about the cocktail, render some sort of verdict on the cocktail, (laughs) move on to talking about movies and television and culture and such. Standard disclaimer, we are not cocktail experts. No. We will probably ruin your favorite cocktail. Probably. Which, especially given this week's choice, something Mm. people usually consume when they are already in a foul humor, (laughs) is something we need to advise people of. Mm -hmm. Second standard disclaimer, alcoholism is a serious disease. And you don't need to have a drink to enjoy our show. In fact, it probably will not help at all. I think it would help. I, I mean, not if you're already an alcoholic. I'm just saying I think it would help, like, to make it... I don't know, to distract you. Gigglier, you know. Yeah. So, as I said, this week's beverage is something consumed ordinarily by folks who have already consumed several other beverages. What is it that we're having this week? We're having Bloody Marys this week. And what uh, what is the Bloody Mary? So, like many cocktails, the Bloody Mary is one of those that is contentious among its proponents everybody has their own recipe everybody has their own ingredients that they like to put in it the only base ingredients that every bloody mary recipe would it would require is vodka tomato juice and celery and that even that is kind of up for grabs so and where does it come from uh well that's what i was getting there it um it's a common brunch cocktail like the mimosa or the bellini his recipe was just tomato juice and vodka, which was later modified in 1939 by George Jessel, who was a popular comedian, who added Worcestershire, salt, pepper, lemon, etc. Um, since then, the drink has gone through a couple of reiterations. Everybody has their own recipe, like I said before. Um, different spices and flavorings are used, including, and not limited to, Worcestershire sauce, Tabasco, Texas Pete, Piri Piri, beef bouillon, horseradish, uh, beef stock, salt, pepper, cayenne pepper, lemon juice, and celery salt. So you can see this is another one of those cocktails that has uh, a mix that you can buy in the store, perhaps for varied reasons. I don't know. I do find it an incredibly simple cocktail to make. It's definitely one of the cheapest cocktails we've ever made. Um, might that have might that have something to do with its popularity as a hangover remedy that it's kind of things that you would probably already have in the fridge or in the house? I'm not sure where the hangover element came from it. I think it's just something that is savory um, and not too boozy. I mean, you could always, you know, hammer down on the booze, but it's it's delicious enough that you would want to drink it while you were hungover and trying to not throw up, you know, much like the mimosa or the bellini, which the mimosa and the bellini are just variations on um, champagne plus something. You know, the bellini is champagne plus peach juice and then the mimosa is champagne plus orange juice this is something that is much more hearty i don't know like it tastes like breakfast to me and i've never had one before it's very savory and i think if you don't get it 
right, it ends up tasting like spaghetti sauce. Very true. Because um, Josh and I did a test run the other night on the Bloody Mary, and I used a recipe from my cocktail app, which is my handy dandy guide, and I ended up just tasting like tomato juice tea, right? Like, like yeah, like like um, cold cold soup. Yeah, and I agree, it wasn't that great. So this time around, I did some more research. I added a lot more Worcestershire. I also added a lot more um, Tabasco sauce, although we're using Texas Pete because, you know, we are North Carolina proud. And uh, I added more lemon juice and a lot more pepper and little salt. Last time I added a pinch of salt. This time I literally, like, the the dashes of dashes. And I used less tomato juice and more the same amount of vodka, so we'll see where we're at. And it's more delicious, don't you think? It's yeah, I would have this uh, of uh, I'd have this with like sausage and biscuits. Yeah, this I want to have a plate of eggs right now, like I really do, and yeah. I want it. It's to not something you have with a sweet breakfast. Oh no, like you would want your bacon, your sausage, your eggs, and I also would like it to be Sunday morning right now. You know, that's the Bloody Mary. I mean, there's been a couple of not variations, but stories on how it was named as. With all cocktails, as we've found, the most popular is based on the story that it was named after Mary Tudor, the Queen of England, mm-hmm. also known as Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary. It might have also been named after Mary Pickford, who was a popular actress of the uh, silent golden screen era. Uh, she actually is very interesting because she... Mary Pickford's wonderful. She's one of the founders of United Artists. Yeah, she's also one of the founders of the Academy of Motion mm-hmm. Pictures and Sciences. Mm-hmm. She was the, uh, the, uh, the she was like one of the biggest draws in Hollywood. It was yeah. her and uh, Douglas Fairbanks, to whom I believe she was married. Oh, I don't know. Uh, at one time. Yeah, and uh, Charlie Chaplin and then D.W. Griffith. The four yeah. of them founded uh, United Artists. Yeah, they had, they had a grand old time together. My point that I was going to make, if I ever got around to it, was that <laughs> Mary Pickford is also um, the supposed source slash origin if you will, of several other popular cocktails. So, Did we mention her in connection with the champagne cocktail? I forget. I think we did. And then there's also one called the Mary, I think it's literally the Mary Pickford. The the Mary Pickford, which obviously was probably, you know, her. Well, this was, yeah, this was the 30s and they were naming cocktails after everybody, I guess. Yeah. And then there's another couple of stories. Um, It might have belonged to a waitress who happened to be working at the bar and, you know, she was named Mary and it was called Bloody because obviously, I mean, it's red and exterior Mm. and stuff like that. Although originally Fernand Pichwite prepared the drink supposedly, Mm. again, take it with a grain of salt, at the request of none other than Vladimir Smirnov. And so there's been a suggestion that instead of naming it something in Russian, Americans are dumb. So they just called it the Bloody Mary instead of Mm. the, you know, whatever you wanted it would have been. Yeah, his act lost a lot of its zing when the Cold War fell. So that's the Bloody Mary, as far as I know it. I liked the second iteration that we made. The first one was, like you said, just not not too So I'm trying to remember what I did. I did uh, three shots, or three parts tomato juice, two parts vodka, half part Tabasco, half part Worcestershire, a squeeze of lemon, and a pinch of salt and pepper, and shook it together. And it's been, I like it a lot more. Yeah, it's quite tasty. So we give a thumbs up to the Bloody Mary with the caveat that it takes some doing to get your recipe right. I would encourage everybody to try different recipes. Honestly, there's a million out there. Don't use mix because that is a we're very anti-mix here. I prefer not to. (laughs) So I did a little bit of research because I had asked you earlier what the connection to the Bloody Mary party game played by tween girls was. And of course, there appears to be no connection whatsoever to the game. But the game itself, 
For those of you who are not familiar, and Kate, you can correct me because I was never a tween girl. I just jumped straight from 10 to 18. The idea is that you dim the lights in a bathroom or somewhere no, there's a mirror. Completely out. You have a candle. Right. Candle. And you mm-hmm. say Bloody Mary three times in the mirror and Beetlejuice will appear. Yes. <laughs> correct? Exactly. And she is some sort of, what is the mythos behind it as you learned it? It's Bloody Mary as in Mary Tudor. Like, you know, this Re- this wretched old hag. There are 12-year-olds who are... Bloody Mary. Discussing the, yeah, she's a the ghost. house of Tudor. She's it's a go- not just a Bloody Mary ghost. No, I think, well, the way I always learned it, and again, I'm someone who's been obsessed with the house of Tudor. Yeah, I was going to say, you may grade. have conflated those. Um, well, no, because that's where the Bloody Mary name comes from, is from yeah, it's the Queen of England, Mary the First. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's the idea that there's this, you know, um, wretched hag that mm-hmm. appears behind you and either scares you to death or, you know, you're gonna die or right. something like that. It's the same idea with, like, Candyman, you know? Right. The history of the game, at least as I found it in a brief search on the internet, originally was a Victorian-era parlor game that uh, women, girls, young women, would walk up a staircase backward holding a candle in one hand and a mirror in the other. Okay. And as they uh, climbed the staircase, they would see over their shoulder mm-hmm. the face of their future husband. Oh. However, oh. sometimes girls would see death's heads and skulls. What is a death's head versus? And like... moldering corpses. And that meant that you were going, or a bloody hag. Oh. And that meant that you were going to die a filthy spinster. So what you're saying is that after this podcast, we should play Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board and see what happens? <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. That's, it, that's, that's funny because uh, I don't know if you've ever played Cat Scratches. No. It's another one of those similar like party sleepover kind of games with young girls. Um, or the one where That you... sounds like a game Ted Nugent plays with young girls. <laughs> oh. Or the one where you drip wax into a, mm-hmm. a thing of water and then you see what shape it takes and then that's supposed to be, you know... Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a ton of these little things. You know, like even the, I don't know if you did this, but soda cans. I know I know you're flick. tired of crossbow hunting, sweetie. Let's go back and play play a game of catch scratches. Or uh, the, the game. Don't worry. Don't worry. If a house okay. gets in our way, I'll burn it down. Or for the third time, the game where you take a soda can and you flick the tab back and forth saying different letters of the alphabet. Isn't that just paper football? And whenever Met- it, metal no, football? And wherever it flicks off, that's like the first initial of your husband. Or the little paper th- thing that you fold in and out. The cootie catcher. That they have the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on the community there's a whole now. There's a whole bunch of them. But right. specifically, and I don't know why I just thought of cat scratches. I haven't thought of it since like third grade. But Yeah, this is like, there should be a whole book of like a lunchroom mancy. <laughs> the the magic of shit that tween girls do to figure out who their boyfriend is going to be. Yeah, well, if we go by those rules, then I'm pretty sure I'm engaged to like 20 different people judging alone on how many games of MASH I played on a field trip in fourth <laughs> Let's grade. Let's be honest. You're engaged to Freddie Prince Jr. three or four times over. Uh, Probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> I don't think I was ever, I was not, no, I was never into Brendan Fraser as a sex symbol. He was just the hero in one of my favorite movies ever, The Mummy. Really? You don't, you don't find him sexy? Not even back in the day. No, not really. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns I, out that the oh. Bloody Mary game is a phenomenon called Troxler's Fading. It's a uh, neuropsychological principle in which when you focus on one object, mm-hmm. it can change the color and shape of things around it, especially the things that are moving, especially in low light situations. So, so. can you still see out like your peripheral vision? Like, so if I'm staring at an object across the room and something like, I understand eyesight going like 
fuzzy and stuff, but how do you see the shapes? Is that still something that you can? It's a it's a form of optical illusion. And oh. if, if you if you do a search for Troxler's Troxler's fading on the internet, and we'll probably put something in the show note. Yeah. There are some pretty impressive optical illusions that you can do on the internet with this similar phenomenon. And the idea being, if you're looking at things in a uh, low contrast situation or a situation where very bright things or very dim like things, like a candle right, in the dark, uh, and your own face. It's not surprising that you would then see a visual artifact like that. So that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. I thought people needed to get a little more learning out of our show besides learning how to drink. No, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. So you want to do our movies? Sure. We got to go make some more cocktails and we'll do our movies. All right. All right. Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Ooh, Beetlejuice, Candyman. <laughs> So we're back. Uh-huh. A couple of notes that of things that I learned during the break or remembered during the break. Okay. First, I made myself a vegan white Russian with almond milk. It's delicious. So if we have any vegan listeners, go f- feel free. Which I, you probably already know this, but you know if you're not that picky, because I'm guessing, you know, I don't, I don't know how vegan works, but well, because you know they don't do honey. Well, what is in? You've got almond milk. What is almond milk? Right, in? but I don't know if there's something about like oh, in vinegar, in when they make vodka, they yeah. have ants on the juniper berries or something. I mean, that's gin. But be potatoes. Ants on the potatoes. Potatoes. Oh, toy, toy, toy. So that's the first thing. Okay. Is that vegan white Russian with almond milk? Delicious. Mm-hmm. Second thing is I forgot to mention that uh, the Bloody Mary is the subject of one of my favorite songs, uh, Willie Nelson's Bloody Mary Morning. Oh. It's a Bloody Mary Morning. My it's... baby left me without warning sometime in the night. Oh, that's like Tequila Sunrise, except better. Except better because it's, it's not really by nice. the Eagles. <laughs> yeah. The hostess takes our order, coffee, tea, or something stronger to start off the day. Aww. It's a Bloody Mary morning because I'm leaving baby somewhere in L.A. He's on an airplane and he's flying. Okay. Uh, Josh, what is one of your, speaking of Bloody Marys, well, I have two notes to hit. One, do you know about flavored vodkas and fucking ABC stores? They have like cinnamon like whipped pecan pie yeah it's all it's i think it's all you know i read an article earlier this week about wine marketing to millennials apparently millennials are drinking like two and three times more wine than previous generations i believe it Uh, but they're also drinking because it seems classier maybe i don't know how is it classier because it's better for you okay that's bullshit yeah okay (laughs) especially not if you're me or asian where you get the wine splotchies you get splotchies just by breathing, though. Fuck off. Ha. But they're drinking different wine, and not necessarily very good wine. They're drinking a lot of Prosecco. Ew. Um, which is okay. It's You know, if you like dry, bubbly stuff that's cheap, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but they're also drinking a lot of sweetened wines that haven't really been popular since the 70s. Like Sweet Red Rue? Well, like, right. The sweetened wines or like Lambruscos mm. or really sweet stuff, which is also lower alcohol content. So yeah. it's like... It's sort of, I think, it, honestly, it's the generation that grew up on wine coolers and wants a wine that tastes like a wine cooler. Ah. That's my guess, though. Yeah, I don't I was in the ABC store earlier, and I was looking for a small thing of um, Absolute or Smirnoff Pepar, which is like the crafted, you know, hand-in-hand with Bloody Marys. Because let's face them. it, actually putting the pepper into the Bloody Mary is really hard on the wrist. Yeah. So I was just looking for, like, a small vial of that. Vial? Am I an apothecary? Like, what right. the hell? Exactly. Small vial. I of need this... a filter of 
Ha, pepper vodka. Ooh, an elixir. Ooh, I was looking for a draft. Peppercorns. Looking for a draft of peppercorn vodka. Oh, no reason. And while I was doing that, um, I was perusing the vodka vial. Vial. Jesus Christ. I was perusing the vodka aisle. When I, I found a dusty tome. <laughs> A rusty abs- cauldron. Absolute's book of ancient magics and eldritch techniques. Liquor of elderflower. <laughs> so I, I didn't end up finding it in a small, like reasonably priced thing. So I, because I was just going to use it as terms of a, like a kind of control, I guess, with the right. Bloody Marys I made a couple of days ago. To see how much pepper the world wanted you to put in, or if the vodka worked better, I don't know. And uh, I saw uh, absolute. Cilantro. Yeah, I don't. Why? Salsatini. What the? No. Like, I. you know what, Josh? I'm going to put this in the show notes. Um, I'm going to Google cocktails with absolute cilantro, like, if they have some kind of, like, pre-planned thing. Because, like, why? Salsatini. Like, at least. If that doesn't exist, by the way, I claim the copyright on it. I mean, at least if you have something sweet, like the whipped cream vodka or the cherry pie vodka, like, that would go well with you know, It's grenadine, just one of these novelty maybe? things. Like, it's one of these know. novelty things like the bacon bourbon. Yeah, okay. You know, they're going to make Applejack that tastes like dental floss next or something. Well, no know. one drinks Applejack anymore. So, want to do our movies? Yeah. <laughs> I like Applejack. I do too. Jack Rose was a great. When we do our year-end roundup, that's going, that may oh, be my top. that's the top five. Yeah, yeah. I think so far that's easily well, in my the top gim- five. Higher than the Gimlet? Maybe. Oh. I think it's going to get, it's going to be, I think it's going to be Jack Rose, Gimlet, mm-hmm. uh, Champagne Cocktail, <laughs> the Sidecar. Oh, the Sidecar was wonderful. Those were, those were some pretty good ones. Mm-hmm. Doing our movies. All right. Every week, Kate and I let random.org pick a year between, pick a number between 0 and 25, then watch the movie that was number one in America during the week that we're doing the show in the year of our lives that corresponds to the number. Right. I'm still not explaining this very well. It's really like the um, it's like the text so at the if, bottom of a car ad. Say, so if we roll a 10, for instance, uh, we I would look at 1998, and Josh would look right. at 1983, and we would choose the number one movie... For that year in our lives for like the first week of February. Or Whatever the, week that know, we're doing yeah. the show. So okay. this time. So we rolled in a first. We rolled 25, which mm-hmm. meant that we watched the number one movie in America last week, which was the Lego movie. Mm-hmm. And then we watched the number one movie in America in 1997, which was James Cameron's Titanic. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want to do first, Kate? Well, let's, uh, let's do Titanic first. Okay. I think a lot of people have seen Titanic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just guessing. Um, but it sort of does two things. It tells a love story of doomed lovers of different classes who happen to meet aboard the unsinkable RMS Titanic on its maiden and only voyage from Southampton, Southampton to America. It started in Southampton and also stopped off at Cherbourg and then it took okay. off from there. Uh, on board are Jack and Rose. Jack Rose. Whoa. Jack's a rapscallion with a heart of gold who wants to see the world and likes to defy social convention and has an eye for the ladies. Rose is a lady who feels stifled by her upper-class upbringing and trapped in what is no doubt going to be a loveless and frustrating marriage to arch-villain Billy Zane. (laughs) She loves art. She loves culture. And when Jack saves her in her suicide attempt, they become passionately in love and yet are thwarted by events aboard. Titanic. So, Kate, 
tell me about your experiences growing up. You are the age of Titanic. Yes, I am. Like, you are your friend. You were, like, what? You were... Ten. Yeah, so a little bit older than you. It was 13-year-old girls, 14-year-old girls. I still... Okay, well, I was ten. I saw this movie three times in the theater. There you go. Which is the most I have ever seen a single movie in the theater, except the Hitchhiker's Guide movie, which was perhaps... That's another thing about your generation. They don't tend to repeat see things in the theater, except for Titanic. That was a big change Well, there are certain movies that, movie. that I've seen twice. Like, I think I, I saw Red Eye twice in the theater. I saw um, The Ring twice mm-hmm. in the theater. What I'm saying, though, is when I was a kid, like, because was, there were no VCRs right. and stuff, first of all, movies would stay in theaters a lot longer. Mm. Like, for instance, I saw Empire Strikes Back six times in the theater. Oh, my God. But it was in the theater for, like, a year. Yeah. Okay, so you and your friends could just say, hey, let's go see Empire Strikes Back. Right. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I saw three or four times yeah. in the theater. And I even saw, like, horrible movies in the theater. Like, I know for a fact that I saw Spies Like Us twice in the theater. Uh, and I would have seen it a third time, except I uh, left the theater and went and watched Rocky Four instead. Oh, you did the... the- not the reach around, I guess, but the well, run around. But I don't. Think, I don't think either of those. It wasn't like a ratings thing. I think it was just like I don't want to. I don't want to see spies like us <laughs> a fourth time. I mean, it's hard for me to describe the Titanic phenomena, so to speak, because it was just so big. It's it's you know it's like a television show that you watch because your friends watch it. I mean, I remember you want to have something to talk about when you go to school the next day. I remember this was probably the first time I ever sat through a nude scene with my parents mm-hmm. and it was extremely awkward for yeah, me. Yeah, don't yeah. Um and then Was that the first time that you that you had that awkward seeing I a movie so. that is really hard to see with your parents? I think so. It's the earliest I can remember aside from Starship Troopers, which that was 99. Yeah, but that movie's wonderful. Well, yeah, but I'm saying I also sat through that with my parents. Yeah, but it's gore. There's, I mean, there's some tits in it. There but... there's a giant naked shower, shower scene. Yeah. Plus the monster at the end is a giant vagina monster. Yes. Well, I'm saying I think this is the first movie I remember seeing and being kind of like fan like, "Oh my god, there's a girl taking her boobs off and I'm sitting next taking to her." Taking her boobs off yeah wow um i don't know there was like all these like rumors going around that was not in the lego movie that's gonna be in the lego porn movie girl taking her because they'll snap off those big and then she can put them on her shoulders lego girls don't have boobs they just have like they have like a block they have a block with like suggestive also lego girls are built like a brick shit house man literally a brick shit like they are literally (laughs) bricks they are literally the inspiration for the commodore's classic yes we're not talking about the lego movie right now okay i think the main thing watching it again was just the special effects for me like they were so impressive in 1997 and now there's a lot of composite work that just doesn't work and um even I think even as a child I was like, well, I don't buy Rose and Jack together mm. whatsoever. Yeah, they don't have a lot of they. They seem like two actors who are having a good time pretending to be in love. Exactly. <laughs> I've always had. There's a lot of people my age or a couple of years older. They're like, you know, when um when Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet reunited for Revolutionary Road mm-hmm. in 2005 mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Everyone was super excited because they're like, oh, Jack and Kate are back to... Or, yeah. not Jack Were they familiar with Jack the source material? Jack and back together, you know, whatever. We, I can't wait to see them on screen together. And I'm like, they are very talented actors. I'm not saying they don't have chemistry together, but Titanic, the love story, is just not there for me. I actually buy them more uh, uh, in the Richard Yates book than I do buy right. them in Titanic. The thing about Titanic in terms of the main romantic structure for me is that 
I buy that she is the rich girl and mm-hmm. he's the guy from across the tracks and they're on an enclosed space, aka mm-hmm. a ship, mm-hmm. on a, you know, fantastical kind of voyage and that she might think that she's in love, but let's pretend for a second if Jack had lived, they would not have lasted. Well, like, they might not have. You're right. It's it's the, And I think we've all felt Romeo that sort and... of frisson of excitement of being in a place that is completely different. You know, it's the... Um, it's the room with a view phenomenon ah. where everything is different and it's a very sen- sensorily intense experience. I think that leaves you open to these sorts of things. And it also reminded me a lot of Romeo and Juliet. I've never found Romeo and Juliet as a pair. Like the play itself is very moving and wonderful, but as the pair of them, I don't find them romantic at all. Really? No. I think they're a convincing couple. No. They're two kids who have no clue what they're doing except that they like their bodies are, let's do that body thing. Yeah, but that's not love. And it takes place over the course of about like two days. And he's right. like 19 and she's like 14. And that's creepy. Well, it's creepy today. It wasn't creepy in 1585 I understand, but I still don't buy them as a couple. What I was frustrated by. Yeah. Was first of all, like it's, it's very obviously two different movies. It's the disaster porn movie. That's the later half. Grafted yeah. onto... A star-crossed lover's story. There's something incredibly cynical about that, but there's a reason that this movie was hugely successful, and it's because, you know, it hit every demographic. Yeah. And this is a topic that we've talked about in the last three or four podcasts, but I have to hit it again. The characterizations in this movie are just so tedious and depressing, and it's this thing that they do, and it's almost like brainwashing or Pavlovian. You know what it is? It's Pavlovian conditioning for storytelling in this sense, okay? Okay. If someone is wearing a tuxedo, (laughs) they must be a racist. If Giovanni Ribisi is playing golf in his short sleeves... My point is, it's these sort of shortcut characterizations where no characters have any interesting or surprising qualities to them whatsoever. Like, the minute that you saw Billy Zane, you knew everything about him. The minute that you saw Kate Winslet's character, you pretty much knew because they showed her in her first or second scene with her little art paintings, which, by the way, weren't actually on Titanic. You know, I mean, her character doesn't Does any character in this movie have an arc? It's melodrama. It's them reacting to events, but the characters don't change. How does she change? I would say that Kate Winslet's character changes a little bit, but not throughout the entirety of the movie. She changes almost at the very end where she decides she's going to shed her family life and shed her connections and go make her way in the world and live the life that... I mean, I'm just saying, she becomes more adventurous. I don't think that that's a whole character arc, but she does end up I guess she's the closest to being an actual human character. Her and and, uh, Jack Bristow. She ends up being a, uh, you know, an old lady who's like hippy dippy, like making clay pots. And right. Her... Also, I do not need to see eighty year old lady feet, which we saw in this movie. <laughs> like she's in that night. Really, like seriously, old lady feet. That's just man. Ooh. It was corns. It was just such a weird phenomenon at the time because there were so many weird, random rumors going on about the production of that movie. Like, I remember there was this one that my best friend tried to convince me of was that Kate Winslet wasn't actually naked in the movie because it was a body double. And, you know. Which is absurd because Kate Winslet loves being naked. No, I mean, like, honestly, they have to get her to put clothes on to put her on an airplane so they can fly her to a movie set so she can then take her clothes off again. Well, that's my point. There's just, like, a lot of random ones. You love being naked and you like being naked in movies hats off to you she's like literally one person one woman who i'm reasonably confident has never been coaxed or coerced into being naked on screen Uh, but and then this is the other thing um and this is just the random 
thing that I noticed watching the movie this time that I never thought about before. I have a sneaking suspicion that when the Titanic went down, there would have been a lot more blood, like people getting bashed around, like their heads smashing against walls and breaking bones, people fighting, trying to get onto boats, like a lot more that's in the movie, like people killing each other. And I suspect people killed each other in the course of getting off that damn boat to try and get onto the lifeboats. And I think there also would have been a lot more people fucking if they knew that they were going to die. Come on. Wouldn't you be fucking if you knew you were going to die? Wouldn't you find some dude to fuck? Um, that depends. I'm like, on a, am I on a spaceship that's hopelessly like plotted towards the sun and there's nothing I can do? You're or on Titanic. Can I, it's 1912 and you're on Titanic. Or can I try and find a lifeboat and fuck him when we're in a hotel room in New York? I don't know. I, I think there would probably be a lot more violence in the real world version. But like even in the movie, they did show a good portion of people believing that everything was okay. And then all of a sudden they start, they flip their shit when they realize, oh, holy crap, we're going to die. Yeah. You know, I thought that that's something that they do kind of well they do i i think those parts are clearly the best like the last 45 minutes to an hour are the best part of the movie by a mile i mean i think that the first part of the movie is just a simple very obvious romantic Mm -hmm. with great production design oh god yes yeah um romantic kind of tale to it and then the second half of the movie is all disaster porn which works they may not necessarily work together yeah okay so we've said titan we've rendered our verdict which is eh. and you know what it's one of those relics of a by Bygone, bygone wait, age. 90s count the 90s are a bygone age now. I'm saying, am a, I a relic of a bygone it's age? It's a very 90s movie, is it not? I have a uh, dental work that is as old as that movie, and again, it's very is it not does is it, my it mouth a relic of a bygone you age? It's very 90s, it's got Leonardo DiCaprio fever. Well, Billy, got... J- Billy Zane's like floppy hair strikes me as very 90s. All right, fine, I'm sorry. No, no, it's almost like it defined the year 1997, except apparently it didn't. Uh, okay, so. Other movie was the Lego movie. Yes. We went to see this in an actual theater. Yes, we did. What was the last movie that we saw in the theater before this? I think this? it was Les Mis, honestly. Oh, mother of Christ. Was really? it Les Mis? I think it was. I think Laura and I may have gone at least once or twice since then to see Les Mis. Oh, I saw Frozen. I saw yeah, you Frozen saw Frozen. Before that. But Frozen was, that was over Thanksgiving. God, we are so poor. It is so expensive to do culture. Like, that's crazy. I spend all of the money that I can afford to spend on culture. Anyhow, so Lego movie. Tell us about it, Kate been doing really well at the box office anyway lego movie stars uh chris pratt elizabeth banks will ferrell morgan freeman will arnett a billion other people in bit roles and main roles the movie focuses on liam mason oh yeah liam mason's in it too sorry this is what i'm saying like every time i think of someone i'm like oh liam mason was in and i think oh well charlie day was in that oh wait so it's you know what i mean who the hell was charlie day space man oh space man so the movie focuses on Emmett Burkowski, who is a sort of, you know, everyman uh, construction worker, Lego, who soon becomes involved with a group of rebel master builders on a mission to stop Lord Business, who's played by Will Ferrell, from gluing the whole Lego universe together. Lord Business wants order. He doesn't like people messing with his stuff. So that's the plot of the Lego movie. I thought it was really wonderfully animated. I thought that it was funny. I thought it had a lot of depth of humor for adults and for kids. As someone who's been playing with Legos since before they can remember, and someone who currently works a lot with Legos right now, I found it especially wonderful and cute and heartwarming. Like, there were pieces of Legos that I haven't seen since 1995. Well, or yeah, before. there are Legos that I have in that big red box over there. Like, I mean, the Spaceman is a wonderful 
You know, I, I have at least one red spaceman in there. I, feel I loved sure. the little light up glow in the dark ghosts that they had. And mm-hmm. then they also featured a lot of their present day minifigures, their present day merchandising deals with like, you know, the character of Batman and Superman and Millhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Which was just wonderful. I thought it was heartwarming. I'm not going to say. I mean, I cried at the end a little bit when he was talking. Yeah. You know. I thought it was wonderful. I thought yeah. it was it was the, the essential message of the movie is that it's sort of a more mature variation on the everybody is special message. Yeah. Which is, it is a useful fiction for everyone to believe that they are special. It's sort of, it's essentially the same message as uh, The Music Man, which is, it's the same message. It's a useful fiction. It helps people if everyone believes that they're special. And the thing that it struck me about this movie was, I guess it's 10 years ago now almost, that The Incredibles got so much praise, um, which was a great movie, and I love it, but it has philosophically essentially the direct opposite message of this movie, which is, you know, as the villain says, in a world where everyone is special, nobody is special in The Incredibles. And I liked that because, you know, there are a lot of untoward people who really like The Incredibles because they feel like they're the special people. And I love The Incredibles. I think it's wonderful, and I love Brad Bird. But I felt it was really nice that there was a philosophical counterpoint that wasn't sort of immature and treacly, but said, hey, look, it is important to believe you're special. It is important to do crazy things and follow your dream because what else are you going to do and you're never going to do anything great or awesome? If you don't. So I thought it was nice um, in that sense. It also sort of reminded me of, well, first it reminded me of Up. With Up, the message of Up being let it go, which, you know, Frozen, hey, did it now. But, uh, you know, the essential message of Up being you have to embrace change. You have to accept change. Right. Because otherwise you're not going to live very long. Which was, again, sort of a similar message to the Lego movie. But it also struck me as very similar to Pleasantville, which has also sort of the same message, which is a movie that is very near to my heart. Uh, That, you know, you have to, change is going to happen. Life is going to change. You have to accept the things that happen. And hey, sometimes they're really great and awesome. And fighting change never works anyway. So why do it? Uh, So I, I really, I don't think I can say enough good about the Lego movie. I really, really, really liked it. I don't think it's quite um, up, which I sort of, or Toy Story, which I put on that top plane. It, it had a lot of the heart twinges of Toy Story involved. But it is it is the first of the non-Pixars, and I include Frozen in this. I liked Frozen, but it didn't come as close as this did to sort of capturing that Pixar feel of being as thoughtful and yet as legitimately moving uh, as one of those toy, uh, Pixar movies. As someone who's had to live with Josh's rants about how Legos aren't creative anymore, I thought that this movie was particularly well done because it does, no, it explores both sides. Um, one of the criticisms of the rebels against Lord Business is that everybody has a plan. They have to follow the instructions that come with Legos. I'm sorry, this is near and dear to my heart because I work in the toy industry. And, and I frequently complain that when I was a child, Legos basically just came in big boxes of bricks. There were a few that had little things that went along with it, but in general, it was just big boxes of bricks, and you would make what you want. And now there's these elaborate yeah, you get, pirate themes. You get the and, Millennium Falcon. You get Kai's fighter jet, you get Olivia's dream house, you know, all that different stuff. But I liked how this movie explored both sides of the issue and was kind of like, you know, it's okay to build a house according to instructions. It's also okay to just make a spaceship out of the bricks that you have. So Kate and I both really strongly recommended this money. If, like us, you only get out to actual movies in the theater every six months or so, you could do a lot worse than going to see this one. Mm Mm-hmm. 
All right, so what did we roll for next week? 16. What does that make us? That, that gives us, for you, it was what year? 2004. And what was the movie? The Passion of the Christ. The, a lot of these in The Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. And or is it just The Passion of Christ? No, it's The Passion of, of the, the Christ. Because okay. it's Catholic and right, he makes right, right. The, cat, the, the Christ. <sighs> We're going to be talking a lot about anti-Semitism next well, week. Well, it's actually, realize. it's funny because it came out on Ash Wednesday mm-hmm. that year. And we just had Ash Wednesday oh, of this year. It's so. almost like we do it the same week as the... Thing. Well, no, but I'm saying Ash Wednesday. Lent moves around. According. Lent moves around. Oh, Lent. Lent. Lent also moves around. <laughs> That's very, very Piedmont, North Carolina accent of yours. What did I say? Lent. No, I didn't. <laughs> Anyhow. Lent. You realize Lent is a different word than Lent. Lent. Okay, so what is the thing in your belly button? Lent. What is okay. the thing that... The thing that is spelled P-I-N is what? Pen. The thing that is spelled P-E-N is what? Pen. <laughs> All right. So my 16 was 1989's Lean on Me, starring Morgan Freeman as a tough-talking, baseball bat-wielding, megaphone-shouting principal who's going to shape up an inner-city New Jersey school and run them crack dealers out of town. I believe it's in Patterson, New Jersey. Question. Have you seen that before? I have. I have not. You haven't seen Passion of the Christ. I have not seen the the Passion the of the Christ. And the. I have. So this is going to be an interesting dynamic. I don't it's just going to be it's going to be anti-Semitism porn and blood no, porn. No. No. And okay. then that weird wormy Jesus. I mean wormy Satan. Uh wormy? Yeah, he has like a worm crawling out of his nose. At one point yeah. and it's a she. The actress was Whatever. it was a she. Yeah, but it's all like bald like Persis Kambata. That's the first time you've heard the name Persis Kambada in at least a year. All right, so that's going to be interesting for next week, I'm saying. All right, you want to take a break? Yeah. All right. I'm kind of giddily excited to make you watch The Passion of the Christ. Why? Because I'm an atheist or something? No, because you have always said, nope, never seen it, never seen it. and Yeah, because I have like no interest in seeing it. Right, so... Uh... So, uh, we talked about our movies for next week. Yeah. What else do we have? Got Explain Us to Me? Yeah, so let's fire up Explain Us to Me. While, while you explain the feature, I'm going to pull it up. Okay. Uh, there is a particular publication in... <laughs> Guns and ammo. So every week, or recently, Josh and I... Asian Butts Weekly. Stop it. Um, Recently, Josh and I have decided to... um, Are there enough butts to put that publication out every week? Wow. They all have butts, hopefully. And how far are we into the podcast now? The casual casual racism racism. comes out. Jesus Christ. So explain us to me, the idea being that every week I take a picture of the cover of Us Weekly, the popular tabloid magazine, send it to Josh, who then looks at it and comes to grips with the fact that he has no idea who anybody on the cover is and asks me to and explain it to him. And then you lead me out of the wilderness. Exactly. Like, like Moses, bringing me unto the promised land of cultural awareness. This week is uh, the cover of March 3rd, 2014. Okay. I don't have it here. I have the one with Miranda Lambert on it. Or is it someone else talking about losing weight? It's someone else talking about losing weight. Jesus fuck! Thank oh, it's you. Jessica Simpson. Jesus fucking Christ! Is every cover about fucking women's bodies? Shut the shit up, Us Magazine. Jesus H fucking Christ! 
Seriously, every week is how I how I, I I'm tired of being fat. I'm losing thirty five pounds. I'm eating carrots. Shut the fuck up! How Until I you... lost the baby weight. Like that's one of the things yeah. that pisses me off is how I lost the baby weight. Like you had a baby. Calm the fuck down. It's such bullshit. You know what? Jerry Seinfeld is twenty five pounds fatter than he was when he hosted when he was on fucking Seinfeld. There's not a fucking article anywhere in the universe about it. You know why? Because it's his, his damn body. Shut yeah, this shit up. He's a man. Right. I'm going to point that out. He's a man. No, I know. That's my point. Is Anyhow. Okay. Well, in her, def- to explain it a little bit further, she also inked a really great deal with Weight Watchers. It is kind of her job at this point. To Was she in. an unhealthy weight, though? That's no. the thing. See, this is what bugs me. None of these people was an unhealthy weight. Jessica Simpson was not morbidly obese. Not at all. Okay. Jessica Simpson is unfortunate because she came about and came to prominence in the age of Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And she's a hillbilly she with a butt. Shoe, she was shoehorned into the idea of being another thin blonde, which I think she she clung to for a while. I mean, you could see the... Uh, her, I like her, by the way. I very, think she's a really charming person. Her, I, you know, all the knocks on her is dim. Mm-hmm. You know, they they made fun of Mar- Marilyn Monroe, too. You know, you can see evidence of that in her very unfortunate appearance in the Dukes of Hazard movie that they made and, like, the music video for These Boots Are Mood For Walking. Like, she is, she is tight and she's thin and everything. But you know what? She decided to stop holding to that after a while. She started gaining weight. Magazines started making fun of her. She got married. She had a baby. She had another baby. Seriously, and so I'm she coming to believe weight. that Us Magazine is, like... The fucking men's rights activists weekly journal. It is it, it is the most horrible reification of women body like the way that our culture looks at women's bodies and women's sexuality. I don't it's think disgusting. It's, no, it's not just Us Weekly though. It's every single tabloid magazine. Like you can't just blame them, honestly. She's gotten so not famous, but her image has been associated so much with losing weight and her battle with weight that this is stories. Like it makes sense for her to be a spokesman for Weight Watchers, just like Jennifer Hudson, you know? Like honestly, there is some weird shit going on somewhere else in the universe. I think it probably has to do with the fashion industry or something. Honestly, like Jessica Simpson, 20 pounds one way or the other, I cannot tell a fucking difference. I mean, she's a little rounder around the cheeks when she wears the mom jeans that she got made fun of. She has a little bit more butt. But you know what? More butt, less butt. It's like blue eyes, green eyes. It's not that big a difference. No, no. I cannot tell you, specifically with Jessica Simpson, I can't tell you how many guy friends or guys I knew who were saying, well, she used to be hot, and now she's gained all this weight. You when associate it... with some really loathsome humans. No, but I think Please that's how most... listen to our show, Friends of Kate. That's how most people are. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm... it's not like these people are becoming morbidly obese. That's like I'm saying. And, and again, you know, that's a health concern separate from an aesthetic but... concern. But by the way, as we discussed in our first show, there are people who are loved to, like, shove food down the fat down the throats of morbidly obese people so it's not like those people can't find love either right but you go from her gq cover from like 2002 i don't even know what that looks like what what, is that a cultural referent that i should know her gq cover i'll post what would she look like but i mean my point is should i know that she was i mean is that like knowing the the demi Moore vanity fair where she's covering her boobs on the when she's pregnant is it like that that, iconic no not that iconic but i'm just saying like you go from something like that which is an image in a lot of america's brains of her in a bikini you know like doing the she's doing like a very big peace sign she's very thin and very svelte and then she goes to embracing her natural body weight and people are going to decry her for that the fact that dog her for losing weight no i'm not either if she wants that body you know knock yourself out i'm just saying 
honest to fucking God, 20 pounds is something that uh, lighting and wardrobe have as much of an effect on how you look as 20 pounds one. And that is, 20 pounds is a lot of weight to most women. Yeah. But I, I swear to you, lighting, wardrobe, attitude, and choosing the right clothes and choosing stuff that fits have as much of a difference on how you look, honest to God. That's that. for everybody else, though. That's not for the, ev- I mean, that's not for a What, if you're trying to fuck or... this cast of Entourage? Well, that's your own problem because you're no, trying to fuck a I'm bunch of douchebags. For someone who's literally kept under the eye of the camera 24-7, like, even Britney Spears, even today, she looks fabulous. She's had two kids. She's great. She goes to Starbucks in the wrong pair of pants, and it shows up in the fucking paparazzi. I'm just... My point, Josh, is that uh, America is cruel, mm-hmm. and uh, our celebrities at certain points are only slaves of what they're expected and to I'm be. Not, and I'm not necessarily defending celebrities like you should back off. Because, you know what, they're famous. You know, they signed up for they it. They signed up for it. Sorry. But, again, it's like the John Darniel thing that... Your friend Jason, I think, linked on our blog mm-hmm. about about Justin Bieber. Just don't be a fucking asshole. You know, when these celebrities, like, you wouldn't do that about another person. Why would you do it about a celebrity? You know, if it's somebody at work, if it's not something you would say about somebody at work, why would you say it about a celebrity? You know, it just makes no fucking sense to me, especially when it's somebody who's having problems, like somebody who gains a lot of weight and is in really trouble. Or someone like Amanda yeah. Bynes, who's having mental health problems. You know, it's like, there's nothing fucking funny. Everybody wants to feast on the corpse. I mean... Yeah, and, and you know, comedy, the essence of comedy is bringing the mighty down. I understand. But, you know, there's nothing mighty about someone with bipolar disease. There's nothing mighty about someone struggling with their weight. You know, there's nothing mighty about someone who hates their body. And is made to hate their body by people who supposedly have their best interest at heart. I just, I don't fucking get it. Anyhow. So that's Jessica Simpson. What else is on the cover? Uh, there's some more, <clears throat> there's some more Bachelor stories. It's about the current season, basically. <sighs> that. So tell me, what's the deal on the current one? He's not a bachelor, he's not a virgin, so he knows what he's doing? No, he's not a, no, that's not, it's just, I think in the general consensus on this season's Bachelor is that he's a dickbag. And that all the women are what's kind of. What's his thing? He's a dickbag. Like his job, though. What does he do? Oh, I don't know. He's a bachelor. Like that's the shit. Like he's probably like a doctor. He's a, he's a professional trier outer and rejecter of women. Probably. I mean, most of the bachelors and bachelorettes that show up on the show, they're not particularly rich or well off. It's just like, oh, he's a doctor, ladies. You know. God, he like, has a little smug little look here on his fucking face. This too. is because they're getting down to the wire about who he's going to choose between like the last two or three women and like every other woman. God, who's and been these on the two show. women have this fucking glassy stare of just. Like, like the, it, this is like what when they when they captured prisoners of war in Iraq and they do make them like when Saddam Hussein would make them do that like I reject the imperialist infidels please I no longer want to be an American and, you know they're Morse blinking their eyes these girls are blinking in Morse code on their eyes I regret doing the Bachelor. Well, at this point, all the other women that were on the season are now allowed to come out and speak against him. You know how at the beginning of a reality TV show they like you know they. Right, it's like the fucking somewhere reunion in a hotel, you know. So the re- you know, no, the reunion special did happen recently and that's where it's all coming from and Okay, I'm bored. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what's this about the Sochi ski scars? Are amazing. did you look this shit up? It's just people talking about the Olympics and being like, Hey, look at America, look at these athletes, oh my god. Okay, so our sum total of Us magazine is douchebag us, a bunch of dead behind the eyes, glassy stared bachelorettes. Current events. Jessica Simpson being body shamed for no fucking reason whatsoever. 
uh, and the Olympics. And by the way, actual athletes who actually are, their bodies are important to them for their jobs, who have actually done something with their lives in this tiny little corner in the bottom right of, of Us magazine. Which matches the same size in terms of what Jessica Simpson got, Oh, no, by the way. they're way smaller. They're about half as big as the Jessica Simpson thing. All right, so moving on. All right. That's that's explain us to me, everybody. All right, so here's our... As the, the listeners to the show usually know if we don't have any actual letters to the editor, which we don't this week, I read a letter to a different editor of a different publication. This week's letter comes from the Dells Chronicle in the Dales, Oregon. It's, okay. the, it's one of those towns that has an article in its name, like uh, The Hague or oh. La Paz. You're a La Paz. So here's our letter. And this well, is it's a... not the La Paz, it's La Paz. Right, but it's still a definite piece. article okay, in the right. name. Okay. To the editor. On Monday, January 20th, I believe two young men stole an official NFL number seven Michael Vick Atlanta Falcons jersey from my store. Ouch. That really hurts. We're a fairly new store and we can't afford employees, benefits, or salaries. <laughs> I looked right at you to offer you help and share our store specials, and you knowingly are robbing me at that very same moment. We have layaway and could have worked out an honest payment plan with you. I'm working very hard to make a fun and affordable store here. We're striving to be a positive influence in our community and for our visitors. I'll bet you didn't know the value of that shirt is more than I make in an average whole day of sales. We cannot make up for the loss or replace it. This is a loss from our own pocket that needs to be made up somehow. Someone out there reading this knows who you are and will know you are a thief. If anyone sees this distinctive jersey, ask the wearer if he's proud of how he got it or where it truly came from. I pray Almighty God convicts your selfishness, and I pray also for his help to keep our doors open so others can benefit from what we still offer here in historic downtown The Dales. And that's from Diana Nade, co-owner of Another Chance Resale and More. Man, if you stole that jersey, you are a jag. Because first of all, who the fuck wants to wear a Michael Vick jersey? Second of all, let me let me back up. All right. Michael Vick has, by all accounts, uh, acquitted himself very well since he got out of jail, and has done a lot of work for animal welfare organizations Mm. and the like. No, he really has. It seems he seems sincere in his change of heart. You have to accept sincere changes of heart. No, I don't. People don't change. Boy, you are a hard one for twenty-five. Just saying, people don't change. Anyhow, my point is, if you're in the Dales or its environs and you see someone in a Michael Vick jersey, you know, I wouldn't accuse him of being a thief, but, you know, talk about the virtues of honest living when you're in their vicinity. Here's my question. Why does she think anybody who would bother to steal from a secondhand consignment store be reading the newspaper? No, no, no. She's trying to shame them. She says people who know them. And see him wearing the jersey. Well, I know, but she's shamingly she's saying, you know, you know who you are. I'm on blah, her blah, team. Blah, are you blah. taking the st- are you taking the side of the I thief? Think, I think that most letters to local editors are silly. It seems silly to me that she would post this thinking that would have like a huge impact. Like, why would you feel the urge to do? You that? know, like, we are very popular and... in in uh, in, in uh, northwestern Oregon. A little bit of housekeeping, as I said before, we're available at pntcast at gmail dot com for an email. Our website is pntcast.wordpress.com. We're on Tumblr at pntcast.tumblr.com. We're on Facebook if you search for Prefer Not To. And we're on Twitter. The handle is at pntcast. Oh, and we've, oh, thank you for reminding me, Kate. 
Uh, we love iTunes reviews. Seriously, if you listen to the show, even if you don't like it, give us an iTunes review. And if you don't listen through iTunes, if you're an Android user or Linux user or don't use iTunes on Windows or Mac and you use Stitcher, we are now in the Stitcher library and we would love reviews on Stitcher. So please also, look us up there. Also, prefer not to. We are also as prefer not to on Stitcher. All right. Now we're going to do recommendations. This is the part of the show where Kate and I, after having been negative Nellies the whole day, which we're not. I don't think so. I think we're just, we get gradually more and more sauced and yeah, carefree as we go throughout uh, the show. Recommend something for folks to read, view, or otherwise culturally consume. Kate? So last week I was getting around to recommend, I was going to recommend two things last week um, on our episode and I kind of just, I guess, forgot or whatever. My recommendation for this week slash last week is the TV show on Showtime, The Borgias, which is terrible i freely admit that it is not it is very strange the borgia stars jeremy irons holiday granger francois arnaud and colm fiore it focuses it's fiore. fiore like like biore oh okay and he also will pull blackheads out of your nose that you can then show to your Ew. party guests Ew. so it, please it, let's be honest that's the whole purpose of biore is to just like show who who has the weirdest like most disgusting black stalagmite on that little strip when they pull it off. Why wouldn't you... Okay, never mind. I was going to say that's something different. I was thinking you could just compare, like, um, blackhead porn on YouTube. Because <laughs> <laughs> it exists. <laughs> oh, Kate, why did you... <laughs> no, seriously. Do ne- never go to YouTube <laughs> and search for blackhead. It First of all, it's a rabbit hole, but it's a, it is a disgusting, crusty, necrotic, pus-filled rabbit hole. All right, so going back to The Borgias, which is a TV show that was on Showtime for three years. It's now since been pulled off the air. It is a lot of historical porn. It is very much in the vein of The Tudors, another Showtime TV show. This one just happens to deal with the Italians. So it focuses on the Borgia family in the late 15th century after the patriarch, Jeremy Irons, is elected as Pope. And the political, you know, goings on and things that they have to deal with. Afterwards, you know, they have to solidify their alliance. They have to deal with, like, outside pressure from France and, you know, the other Italian papal states and stuff like that. It's just, it's fun. It's brain candy. The guy that they have playing the King of France on this show, which, by the way, I don't watch it that religiously. It's basically just something Kate has on when she's, like, sitting there doing Twitter and I'm watch, walking through the room serving people dinner and such. But they got a guy playing the King of France. I don't know who the fuck it is. But he is so French in his accent that he sounds like he has another French guy in his throat talking with a thicker French accent than he uses. I mean, it's it's literally like, it's like, it's the worst caricature Pepe Le Pew escargot accent that I think I've ever heard. It's hilarious, though. He's the best part of the show. They killed him off, and I had to stop watching the show. Yeah, well, watching, meaning he's at his computer laughing at random bits of dialogue he can Every hear. Every time I hear the French guy, well, it's not that I would recommend this TV show as something, like, I honestly enjoy. I mean, I do enjoy it, but I freely admit that it's just brain candy. Yeah, I'm just going to say, there's a lot of guys on that show who look like fucking Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. So if that's your look, like the sort of wavy down to the right above the shoulders guys with a baby face and maybe a little wisp of facial hair, that's the show for you. So, and it's on Netflix. It is. All three seasons. All right. 
So my recommendation is uh, a book by a guy who died this week, not to be a downer, but uh, the author of this book, Sherwin Newland, uh, a uh, brain specialist who died at 83 this week, so long life, wrote a book called How We Die, and it is the most thoughtful and honest exploration of death and dying and the processes by which our body stops working that I've ever read. He's a very sincere and honest physician who discusses the ways that the body works, the ways it stops works, stops working, how the quest for a death with dignity is almost certainly a futile quest because none of us dies with dignity because death is an ugly and violent process even when it happens by natural causes. So it's a really, really good book. It's a really interesting and thoughtful book. There are some arresting images. He talks about one time when he was a resident, and this was before open heart surgery was common, and closed chest heart massage was still common, which is uh, when the chest is cut open, the rib cage is not opened, and the physician inserts his hands into the chest cavity and massages the heart in an effort to get it to start beating again. This is before we had defibrillation Mm, and uh, mm -hmm. like the point being it's a very thoughtful and interesting book about the ways in which we die so that's the book i recommend called how we die by sherwin newland and kate's recommendation is the borgias available on netflix bloody marys i think we should have these like of a sunday morning i'm gonna make you eggs put some scallions in there yeah Give you a Bloody Mary. Watch some Borgias. It sounded like you said watch some Porsches. Like we have those in the parking lot, which let's be honest, we're poor. We don't have any Porsches in our parking lot. Oh, I dated a guy once whose parents had Porsches. Oh, fuck that shit. I know. Yeah. He's the kind of guy who would bitch about Jessica Simpson's butt. No. Really? So, as always, Kate, I loved spending time with you. Oh. Please, I hope you join us again. Write us a review on iTunes or on Stitcher. For all, As always, for Kate, I am Josh. And for Josh, I'm... I guess I'm Kate. And thanks for spending some time with us. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.